Would you turn your Bibles, please, with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. Welcome if you're here for the first time today. We're very glad to have you. Hope that you will be rejoicing in the Word with us. This is such a, a blessed occasion that we have together as the body of Christ to gather around the Word freely, openly, enthusiastically. And again, it reminds us of those for whom we prayed this morning as well who are meeting in secret and yet are still in Christ, worshiping together. Let's all stand together and let me, let us, let's read together in unison our text for this morning. Ephesians 2, 1-10. This is certainly a, a rich text and one that we could easily spend a month going through together, seeking to dig in deeply, but we have the joy of looking at our great salvation together this morning. So read this with me. Read this thoughtfully. Read this carefully. Read this with a heart of thanks to our Father in heaven. Ephesians 2, 1-10 through And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please join me in prayer. Our Father, this is a mountain peak of a text in Your Word. All of Your Word is inspired equally and is Your authoritative, sufficient, inerrant, glorious Word. But this text, oh, how it fills us with a sense of awe and joy and humility and thanksgiving and praise toward You. Father, let us receive from this text by Your Spirit what You would have for us to receive this morning. As Paul prayed, let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened so that we can know the hope to which You have called us. And may we respond in the Spirit to this text as You have designed for us to respond. And let that have an impact on the way we live from day to day. And Father, for those who are here among us that have not yet experienced the grace of this text, that they would be drawn into it as well and be saved, be brought to spiritual life. Let them share in this fellowship with us. Grant them faith 
to see Christ in all of His saving glory and to rest in His person and work in their behalf. We pray these things for Your name through our Mediator, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Do you know what happened to you when you were born again? Do you know what God did to you, in you, for you, when He saved you? Is that clear in your mind? You know, lots of people come to saving faith in Christ, truly, but for maybe years, they don't ever realize what happened to them. What did God do in you when He saved you? And this is one of Paul's great desires in this particular letter. Let your eyes fall upon the 15th verse of chapter 1 Ephesians, just a few verses behind where we read. Paul prays, he says, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remember you in my prayers. And notice what he's praying for them. He's praying to believers. People who are born again. But he's praying that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, your spiritual eyes of understanding enlightened so that you can know what is the hope to which He has called you and what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. Do you know what God has done in you as one who has been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. Paul prays something similar just over then in chapter 3, verse 14. Again, he says, for this reason, Paul is unleashing a body of glorious truth about salvation in Jesus Christ. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, in His love, have the strength to comprehend, to to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul in this letter wants you to know exactly what happened to you when you were saved. So do you. And in a sense, this is, this is part of the journey of the Christian life is learning the layer upon layer, the, the, the treasure chest upon treasure chest of the riches of God's grace at work in us when He saved us. You know, so many confessing believers do not know really what happened. And that has a tremendous impact on your spiritual growth. In fact, your spiritual growth will be halted and stunted if you do not have your mind enlightened by the Spirit of God through the Word of God to the riches of God's grace at work in you when you were saved. 
Because after Paul talks about these glorious riches, then he goes into practical everyday life as a Christian. You need to know and understand the glory of God's grace for you so that you can operate as you ought to with the attitude you ought to in the way you ought to in the body of Christ. Or in your marriage. Or how to forgive. Or how to raise your children in the Lord. And so on. He applies these truths. So that's why He wants you to know what you have received from God in Christ. So we need to hear the Gospel again. And that's what Ephesians 2, 1-10 through is about, is, is this display of God's grace through the Gospel so that it will fill us, so that we will be mindful of it, so that we will be able to meditate on it and be changed by it. If I could summarize this text, again, this text, verses 1-10, through does not have an exhortation to us. It is simply a delivery of the Gospel of God's grace. You need to just take it in. You were dead in sin, and now you are alive in Christ. There's the summary. You were dead in sin, and now you are alive in Christ. This is the story of all stories. Like I, like I titled this particular message, the testimony of saving grace is this. For all of us who, are, who have been saved, I was dead, and God made me alive. I was dead, and God made me alive. So let's, let's unpack these verses a little bit this morning together and rejoice in God's grace together. Number one in your outline, you were dead. Do you realize the condition in which you existed before God saved you? Paul says, and you were dead. Did you see yourself as that? You say, what do you mean? I'm, I'm up and walking around. I was well and healthy and eating and running and working. I'm not talking about your physical life. Paul isn't talking about your sp- physical life. He's talking about your spiritual life. You were spiritually dead. That's, what, that's, what Paul, that's how Paul describes us in this state before we were saved. Letter A on your outline, the fact of spiritual death. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, looks at the unbeliever, looks at us before we were saved and says, you were dead. Dead to God. You were a spiritual corpse to God. It's as if God could come up to you and poke you in the toe with a pin and you would feel what? Nothing. You were totally unreceptive to spiritual stimuli. That's the condition of everyone apart from Christ. When it came to living in a loving and joyful relationship with God, your loving Creator, you were a corpse. When it came to living according to His God's good will for you as a man or a woman made in His glorious image, you were a corpse. Those things didn't register on your radar. You were unreceptive to Him, unable to please Him, undesiring toward Him, dead to God. That's who we were. Dead to God. Romans 3, 9-18, through and we don't necessarily need to go over and look at it, but that is a classic text that unfolds the layers of our death spiritually. 
It begins with, there is none righteous, not even one. None who seeks after God. They're all gone out of the way and become worthless. What does that mean? It means we were dead, first of all, to God's goodness. We didn't desire to walk in His holiness in conformity to His law. We were dead to that. We were dead to God's mind. We, we didn't understand God's way of thinking. We were dead to His Word. Imperceptive to it. Dead to God's person. We, don't, we didn't seek after God, it says in Romans 3. No one seeks after God. We didn't want Him to be close to Him as He really is and love Him and serve Him and, and know Him intimately and fellowship with Him. That wasn't our desire. We were dead to those things. Dead to God's purposes. In fact, it says in Romans 3 there, we have turned aside and become worthless. It's not to say that a human being made in the image of God is worthless, but according to our ability to walk as an image bearer, bringing glory to God, worthless. Dead to God's will. It says no one does good. Not even one. Romans 3. We didn't want God's will. We wanted our own will. Dead to God's truth. It says we used our tongues to deceive. We were dead to God's love. Our words and our actions were heinous and harmful, it says through that text. You read it. Romans 3, 9-18. through Dead to God's peace. It says the way of peace they have not known. No peace within. And our lives don't create peace in the people and the relationships we have. Dead to God's glory. There is no fear before their eyes. We don't, we don't have a holy awe of the glory of God. Paul says, before we came to salvation, we were dead. You were dead. I was dead. Did you realize this about yourself? He said, I don't know about that. I thought I was doing pretty well. I had some, some inclination toward God. Well, Paul goes on. Maybe you're not convinced yet? Let's see what else he has to say. Paul then goes on to describe the spiritual death. Let her be the description of spiritual death. And in these next words are wrapped up causes, circumstances, consequences. He's just going to describe this sphere in which we walked. Spiritual death. First, notice the walk of death. In trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Walking, when you look at that in Scripture, the walk always is a symbol of daily life. And the sphere in which you walked was what? Trespasses and sins. That was our walk when we were spiritually dead. What are trespasses? You could say it this way. You saw the restrictions that God placed and you did it anyway. You went right through the sign. Right? You, you saw the requirement and looked at that requirement and said, no, I don't care. That was your daily walk. Do you remember those days? Knowing what God says no to? Knowing what God says you must live this way? And you're like, forget it. I'm going to do what I want to do. And not only trespasses, but sins. Sins. You, you just fell short of the design that God had for your life. As hard as you might have tried, you couldn't measure up. God's standard of perfection, His perfect goodness is what He has designed for us, and we don't even come close to it. You say, well, I don't think I was that bad. 
Well, think about it just in terms of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number number one, did you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength? Absolutely not, we didn't. Who did we love first? Right here. Right? We loved ourselves. Did you worship only God? No, you spent and sacrificed and gave yourself for things. Right? We didn't worship God alone. Did you worship God exactly the way He wanted you to worship Him? No, we blew that too. There's two commandments down. We walked in sin daily. Did you worship God and by your worship honor His name? I mean, think about it this way. How many times have you taken, before you were saved, did you take the name of the Lord your God in vain? That was a daily way of speaking, wasn't it? Did you devote your time, your talent, your treasure to knowing and loving and speaking of God and serving Him? No, we didn't. Did you always obey and honor your parents and all those who are in authority over you that God is ordaining your life? Of course we didn't. We wanted to be king, right? That's who we are when we're dead spiritually. I'm king. No one else can say, I don't want God to be king. That's why kids disobey their parents. They don't want God to be king. They want to be king, right? Did you always selflessly love? Did you avoid sinful anger? Well, that's what spiritual murder looks like, doesn't it? Boy, I think we're checking out on all of these commandments, aren't we? This is We walk in anger. We took out our anger on other people. We didn't selflessly love... Were you always faithful, remaining loyal in your relationships, never to lust after someone that didn't belong to you in a sexual way or cheat on your spouse? Did you? No, we didn't. Our life was in sin. Were you always hardworking in order to be generous? No. <laughs> right? we, we worked hard to get money so that we could buy what we wanted for ourselves. We're breaking these commandments left and right. Did you always tell the truth? How many lies have you, have you told in your life before you came to Christ? We were dead. That's, this is what dead people do. We love ourselves. We worship ourselves. We, we speak whatever benefits us, even if it's a lie. Were you always content and never sinfully desire what belonged to someone else? No, we were covetous. We were covetous. We became bitter against those people that, that could possess what we couldn't. Right? We wanted to see them go down. If it only meant a little bit of contentment for ourselves. We were walking day in and day out in sin. How does that sound now? That's what Paul's talking about. We were dead in trespasses, in sins. That's where we walked. But I tell you, it gets even more difficult to see. It gets even more profoundly depraved. Not only did we have a walk of death, but we were, we had, there was a following. We were following. There's a following of death. What were you following? What were you chasing after when you were dead to God? Well, the first thing is the course of this world, the spirit of the age, the impulses of the world. The world, what's the world? The world is a system, right? We know that. The world is a system, an order. It's not, Paul isn't talking about the globe on which we live, the earth, this, this planet that God has made. He's talking about a system of thought, 
an order of people that are controlled by a certain mindset, by a certain principle, by impulses that are opposed to God's truth and God's will. That's the world. The Apostle John described it this way in 1 John 2, 15-17. Here's what's in the world. The lust or the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. What is that talking about? The world lives by impulses. What are those impulses? Whatever feels good to me, that's what I'm going to pursue. Whatever looks good to me or looks good to other people, that's what I'm going to pursue. Or whatever brings me praise, whatever exalts me, whatever makes me feel built up, whatever exalts my self-esteem, that's a desire of the world. Those are the three main impulses that, that drive the world system. That's, that's what people live by from day to day, right? It's what causes them to decide what kind of house to buy, what kind of clothes to wear, what kind of car to drive, what kind of job to have, and so on and so on and so on. These are the impulses of the world system. These are what's behind the commercials that come across our screen. Right? And that's what we followed when we were dead. That was what we lived by. That's what we took our cues from. But not that only. We didn't just follow the course of the world. We followed the authority that governed the course of the world. Who is that? Satan. That's what what he says next. You were following the prince of the power, the authority of the system of the world, the air. And that's exactly what, what we learn throughout Scripture. We were in the kingdom of darkness, Colossians 1.13. We were captive by Satan to do his will, 2 Timothy 2.24-26. In fact, 1 John 5.19 says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's what we were captive to. We were slaves. He's like the Pied Piper, right? He was playing the tune at which the world dances, and we said, I want to be just like that. That's how dead people, spiritually dead people live. According to the impulses of the world, according to the influences or the insistence of Satan. And then, you can keep going with it, the Spirit which some interpret as actually Satan as well, the Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived. We put around ourselves friends. What kind of friends were they? The friends that help us pursue those worldly desires. Right? You, everyone, every single person in the world surrounds themselves with the kinds of friends that will help them to fulfill their desires. Whether they're godly or worldly. And that was our life. We lived among a group of people and we were one of them who could be called the sons of disobedience. We lived according to our own will and not God's. That's the description of death. That's the walk of death. That's the following of death. And notice here then what we could call the life of death. Um, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. 
This was our daily life. We lived by the passions of the flesh. What's the flesh? The flesh is our fallen nature. It's our depraved disposition. And we had this strong desire, these passions, these strong desires that demanded to be fulfilled, that demanded to be pleased, and they were for sin and for selfishness and for self-satisfaction. And Paul further describes those fleshly desires by calling them desires of the body and the mind. Think about that. We lived to fulfill and satisfy and please the desires of our body. Whatever my body says feels good, that's what I want to do. Whatever my mind says brings self-esteem and self-exaltation, that's what I want after. That was our, those were our ruling passions when we were dead. You see, Paul is describing this so perfectly. Now, being brought to life, you can look back and identify all that and say, you know, that was exactly right. If I'm honest, that was exactly right. The sad thing is, is that those who are dead can't see it of themselves, right? Only God can make them see, wow, I am living like a dead person. And what's the cause of spiritual death? So you have the cause of spiritual death is we were what? By nature. That was who we are. We were born spiritually dead. From the moment Adam and Eve, the first two human beings, turned willfully against God, every human being has been born spiritually dead. God sent them from His presence. God separated them from His fellowship. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. Spiritually dead people are separated from God in their spirit. They're imperceptive to God. They don't want God. They don't desire God. That's the way, that's the way God describes us. Even, even our best religious efforts are for ourselves in that condition. Adam and Eve sinned, died spiritually, and we inherited that fallen nature and that spiritual death through them. Romans 5.12 by one man, sin came into the world. And death through that sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And what's the destiny of spiritual death? Paul says, by nature, we were what? Children of wrath. Now, people don't like to talk about wrath today, but that's what we have to understand. That's who we were before we were in Christ. When we were dead, walking in sin, following the course of the world, following the, the tune of Satan, Living out the desires of our body and the mind. We were objects of God's wrath. Why? Because God is good. Because God is love. You say, what do you mean? How could God be good and love and be wrathful? You see, God loving what is perfectly good and being what is perfectly good must exercise perfect justice toward what is then evil and what violates His good creation. You don't want a God that is other than that. You don't want a God that is perverted and loves evil and, and, and overlooks evil. God is perfectly good and He is full of love toward His good creation. And so that which enters His creation, such as sin and deception and, and all that we are in our deadness, He must be justly wrathful toward. And we deserve an eternity apart from Him 
apart from His love and under His wrath. That is just. That is right. Especially, you think about it, someone who is unchanged going into eternity and they experience God's just wrath, are they going to all of a sudden then turn and be like, well, God is great. No, they're going to be continuing to curse God and live ever longer in their spiritual deadness, hating God and loving their sin. And so God's wrath must be justly poured out for eternity. That's what the Bible teaches. We, are ch- we were children of wrath by nature. John 3.36 talks about that. The wrath of God abides on those who are rebellious toward God. In fact, our text in Romans that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, near there are some other indications and clear teachings of God's just wrath. For example, Romans 2 and verse 5 says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment, righteous judgment will be revealed. Or verse 8 in the same chapter, but for those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. That is God's words. That's who we were. There's the destiny of spiritual death. The walk of death. The following of death. The life of death. Here's the cause of death. Our nature. The destiny of death. And then letter E finally. How many people are included in this? The universality of spiritual death. It says it right there. Like the what? The rest of mankind. That's who we are. Without Christ. All have sinned. Right? And fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 This is who we were. This is who everyone is by nature and by birth without any divine intervention. And from that human standpoint alone, we have no hope. Right? We're dead. So right now, as a genuine believer, you might totally agree with that. You're like, that is who I was. I can go line by line by line and say, that is how I live. And if you're honest, that's where you'll be. That's where we are. As a believer, you may recoil from that description of you before you were saved and say in your heart, well, I don't know if I was that bad. But here's the thing. This is God's inspired Word of God. And He knows us better than we know ourselves. And so that's where you need spiritual enlightenment to see your own heart before Christ for what it was. And maybe right now, you're a, as a fellow human being, you might be in this state of spiritual death and say, I'm not that bad, and I feel that I can do something good. I can do something good about my sins. Well, yes, you know there are, there are moral actions that happen horizontally between one person to another, constantly happening every day. But Paul's talking about toward God we are spiritually dead. There's nothing we can do to please God. To rectify our relationship with God in our sinfulness. Nothing we can do. Nothing we can do for ourselves. And certainly, there are people all over the world today who are walking in death daily trying to find various human ways of making themselves feel like they're alive. Right? Some try religion for a while. Some try buying new things for a while. Some try relationship after relationship. Humanity has a way of seeking after so many 
earthly, human, temporal things to quiet the scream of their soul that says, I am dead on the inside. I am dead spiritually. And it's an effort in futility. So what's the answer? You were dead. And what's the answer? What is our hope now? What happened to us? Number two this morning. You were made alive. You were made alive. These are glorious, glorious words. You were made alive. But God made us alive. Do you see it? What did you do? Nothing. God made you alive. See, you could summarize the Gospel in these two words. But God. We were dead. But God. He did something. He did something that none of us could do. And think about it for a moment. The first part of that, letter A. The one who made us alive. This is God we're talking about. The same God whose wrath we deserve, who, who justly would pour out His wrath upon us. This, this almighty Creator of heaven and earth who we have spurned His generosity and goodness and lived for ourselves instead of worshiping Him. This is the one who made us alive. This sovereign King who deserves our utmost worship and obedience, but yet we turn from Him in selfishness and depravity and sin. This is the God who made us alive. The Holy Judge who deserves, who, from whom we deserve perfect justice which would send us into eternity apart from His love. He made us alive. He made us alive. And He made us alive. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were children of wrath. We must fully understand something here and embrace the reality that salvation is of the Lord. Just like Jonah said. Just like the Bible says from cover to cover. You don't have a part in your own salvation. It's God who makes us alive. You were spiritually dead, laying there as a lifeless corpse. And God made you alive. How can a corpse even begin to participate in its own resurrection? How can a corpse even begin to want its own resurrection? It's dead. That's how Paul in the Spirit describes us before Christ. But God. But God made us alive. God, It's like, like God creating humanity at the beginning. God formed man out of the dust of the ground and then what? Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living, living being. What part did Adam have in that? God did it. It's like Lazarus lying in the grave. And all of Lazarus' family coming to Jesus and saying, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He's like, just wait. You're going to see the glory of God. And so Lazarus there laying in the grave Surrounded by grave clothes, laying there inanimate, unhearing, unseeing, undesiring, unbreathing. And what did Jesus say? Lazarus, come out. And he who was dead came out. That is the only thing. Think of this. Think of how, the, how does Paul lay out this text? He goes from our, of describing our spiritual death. And the next two words are not but you. 
right? They are but God. But God made us alive. What a glorious thing. If it were just us, we'd have no hope. But God. Now, why would God do that? Why would God do such an act to bring us to life? Well, let her be the cause of our being made alive. He says it here, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. This is absolutely amazing. The center of this is right here because of the great love with which He loved us. That is why God makes dead people come alive. Because God is love. And notice here, please, that there is nothing in you that contributes to this. The only thing that we see here in this next sentence is that even when you were dead in your trespasses, God did not look down the corridors of time and see something that attracted Him to save you. Not even a little flicker of faith. There's nothing there that God chooses by which to save us in ourselves. He doesn't look at us and say, well, that person's got a lot of potential. If I could put them into my kingdom, I think they could do a lot of great good. No. Paul says the exact opposite. He's like, even though, like in spite of everything, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God's great love made us alive. That's the cause. God's great affection for us. This is why we say John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, the world in all of its darkness and depravity and deception and death, even though we were. He loved us and sent His Son to die for us so that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8, even when we were enemies, even when we were weak, even when we were ungodly, even when we were sinners, God demonstrates His love toward us in that Christ died for us. Or 1 John 4.7, what a glorious text this is where we see God's love put on display for us. Let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever has loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. We didn't initiate this but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 19, we love because He first loved us. The only reason, there is one reason in this text why God calls spiritually dead people to spiritual life is because He is love. He loves us. Because He's love. Not because we're lovely. He loves us because He's love. God personally takes great delight in pouring out His saving love upon people who do not deserve it at all by His own free, sovereign, gracious choice. 
There's nothing in you but your deadness and sin. Your trespasses. But God is full of love. In fact, it says, the great love with which He loved us. There is no lack in God's love. It's full. It's rich. It's free. It's powerful. And this is... See, here's the thing. This is why you can be secure in God's love forever as one who has been brought to life. If you had something to do with God loving you, then you would always have to wonder, is that love going to go away when I change? The point is this. God loves you because He's love. And His love does not change because He does not change. He is a Savior who delights to throw His love upon those who least deserve it. And in that great love, God was merciful to us. God's love overflowed with mercy. In other words, God longed with compassion over us and therefore He chose not to give us what we deserve. That's what mercy is. He said, I'm not going to give you this wrath that you deserve. I'm going to withhold my wrath from you. And God's love saves us by grace. Notice the end of verse 5. By grace you have been saved. God's love overflows toward us in grace. This grace is that God longed with compassion over us and chose to give us what we didn't deserve. Give us all the riches of His kindness. Which we'll talk about more in just a moment. And in all these saving affections that God has to us, this love that overflows in mercy and overflows in grace, God does not show us this love in calling us to life and then dread that He did. Or He's not, he, he's not, He doesn't hold back. He delights in this. He absolutely delights in raising spiritual corpses and saving sinners. In fact, again, I, I've read this text to you a few times over the last few weeks, but I, I just I can't get over the glory of this text. Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in steadfast love. God delighted to show this love to you. This makes Him glad when He can, of His own free and sovereign will, pour this saving love out on dead people and make them alive. And then He goes on in verse 19, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And you know what? God wasn't unjust to be merciful to us. Right? He, did, he wasn't unjust. He didn't pervert justice in doing so. You know that, right? He didn't just overlook our sin and like, well, okay, let it go like water under the bridge. No, 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 no. How is it that God could be merciful to us, withhold His wrath, and show us His grace and pour His love out on us freely like this? It's because He exercised justice against our sins somewhere else. Right? And where was that? At the cross. This is how God can justly be merciful and call spiritually dead people to life and show them love. It's because He took the sins of those He would call to life and put them on the body of His Son and pour out His wrath without mercy upon His Son who could sustain such a thing because He was both God and man. 
and Christ satisfied God's wrath on the cross. And therefore, God can show us love and mercy because His Son took the wrath that we deserve. Now, how did God do this spiritual resurrection in us? How did He do it? What does that mean? He raised us up. I was dead spiritually and now He made me alive. By what means did He accomplish that? So, let us see in your notes there. Number two, the means of our being made alive. Look at this. This is absolutely thrilling. God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ. You are spiritually alive, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, today, and eternally safe because God has spiritually united you with His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to just focus on that concept for just a few seconds. You are united with Christ. How often do you think about that? Your union with Christ. Do you understand that's what happened to you? In salvation, in your new birth, God the Father spiritually united you with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you realize the eternal significance of your union with Christ? It's central to your eternal salvation. How often do you meditate on the fact and rejoice in the fact that you are in union spiritually with Jesus Christ? You may think of it maybe like marriage. God illustrates that union with marriage. When a man and a woman, they are two, and then through the process of the marriage covenant, they become one. And each of what the other has becomes both of theirs. They become one. It's a real union. There's a real unity. And the means of your being alive in Christ, alive from spiritual death, is your union with Jesus Christ. God unites you with Jesus Christ. But how could, how could, see, that's kind of hard to describe, isn't it? It's not something maybe you think about as much as you should, or and certainly I know I don't. How could Paul describe such a phenomenon, this union with Christ that brings our spiritual life? Well, he used, actually, he coined three words here made us alive together with, raised us up with, and seated us with. Those in the, in the original language are each one word. Made us alive together with. There's one Greek word. It's, it's, a, it's a concoction that Paul made to try to describe this. Raised us up with. Seated us with. What does this mean? First, He made us alive together with Christ. Of course. United to Christ in His what? Resurrection. This is a spiritual union that God has created between the One who is made alive and Christ in His resurrection. There's a new life principle that has happened. And as a result of that, a new life posture. You've got something new. You, you were dead. Now you're resurrected spiritually. You're no longer dead spiritually. You're alive. You're the opposite now of verses 1-3. through three. That's what happened when God made you alive together with Christ. You no longer love your sin like you used to. You now 
love the will of God. That is miraculous. You no longer are hopelessly driven by worldly impulses. You are driven by heavenly impulses. You have a new desire, a new place that is a priority to you. God's place. God's will. You are no longer captive to Satan's influence and authority. You've been set free and you have been brought under the reign of Jesus Christ. That all happened when you were made alive together with Christ. You're no longer tied to live by the whims of your unbelieving, disobedient friends. But you long to serve others in the body of Christ. You're no longer a slave to the passions of your remaining fallenness. Nor do you just instinctively, impulsively live by what feels good to your body or what your sinful mind demands for your personal exaltation. Now, miraculously, amazingly, you fight against those impulses and you desire to deny your sinful cravings and your selfish demands to honor Christ and serve others. That's a miraculous thing. A war begins in you, right? That's spiritual life. God has spiritually united you to Jesus Christ in His resurrection and you've been made alive with Him. But then Paul says you've been raised up with Him. United to Christ in His ascension. Well, that's something interesting. Raised up together with Christ in His ascension. A new position you have now. A new possession in heavenly places. You are still presently living in this world, but spiritually you're united to Jesus and you are fellowshipping with Him in heavenly places. And you experience it, don't you? Like, I, I love Christ. I talk with Christ. He speaks to me through His Word. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is yours. I mean, this is what Ephesians 1, 3-10 describes has become yours. Your position, your possession because of your union with Christ. God has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has poured out upon you His loving choice. God has called you to exist before Him in holiness and blamelessness. You have the righteousness of Christ over you. You are in Christ. You're, You're adopted as a son and a daughter. You have redemption through His blood. Through the blood of Christ, you've been bought and purchased by by God in love. You've been forgiven of all your sin. No more do you owe the law. No more do you owe God for your sin. It's been forgiven. The riches of His grace have been lavished upon you. You now have access to divine wisdom, divine insight, divine knowledge. And God has made known to you through His Spirit, through His Word, what He is doing in you and what He's doing through you in Christ, not just for the present, but for the future. You have and enjoy spiritually right now everything that you will have in heaven forever. Do you realize that? We we don't see where we are in Christ right now and all that is promised to us. But it is yours. It's yours. Because all that God plans to do for you and give to you in Christ is done in the plans and purposes of God. Even though you've not yet fully experienced it. You've been raised up to enjoy the riches and blessings of heavenly places with Christ. All that Ephesians 1, 3-10 through describes is yours. Because you've ascended with Christ. And now, 
you're seated with Him. That means you're united with Christ in His session, shall we say. means that you, are, you have a place now of privilege and power that when you were dead, you didn't possess. Christ, when He ascended, He rose and He sat at the right hand of God and therefore rules and reigns. And you are sharing with Him that privilege and that power. You've been seated spiritually with Christ to reign with Christ over sin, over Satan, and over the system of the world, but also to inherit with Christ in the future the new heaven and the new earth. It's coming. And you have a down payment, right? What's your down payment of all of that? The Spirit of God within you, whom Christ sent from that reigning chair, that throne of lordship, all because God seated you together with Christ. And again, Ephesians 1, 11-23 gives us a taste of that glory. You have an inheritance now. You are joint heirs with whom? Jesus Christ. You're going to inherit the new heaven and the new earth, and you're going to inherit completed salvation. You have a future hope. You have a glorious inheritance in the saints. I'm just listing things in those verses. Ephesians 1, 11-23. You have great power over darkness just like Jesus has because He is in you and you're seated with Him. In fact, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 that we should be casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. How is it that we can do such an exhortation? Because we're seated with Christ. It's His authority that works through us. Ephesians 6, 10-20 Stand in the victory that Christ has won for you. That's what it means to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. We don't have to sin anymore. We don't have to give in to Satan's temptations. We have a new position and a new power. All because we're seated together with Christ. This is what has become ours through the love and grace of God. This is what it means to be alive in Christ. And this is how God accomplishes our spiritual resurrection. And here's the effects of it. Made alive together with Christ. Raised up with Christ. Seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, why would God do such a thing for all of us? It would just, wouldn't it just be enough to be just brought to spiritual life and just kind of you know, like live on the planet Mars forever? That would, be, that would be grace, right? But so far beyond that, we've been given. I wish, like Paul says, God, shake us out of this worldly monotony to see what we have in Christ in heavenly places. What's the purpose? So that. That's a purpose signal right there. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God loves to show us who He is and what He does. And He not only shows, this isn't just show and tell, like here, look what I can do and I hope you see it a little bit and put it away. This is a show and tell that is experiential. God for eternity, the coming ages, age after age after age of eternity, He is going to show you the riches of His grace, the, the, the wealth of His giving to you what you don't deserve 
in, in such a way that it is immeasurable. And He's going to do it in infinite kindness, graciousness, generosity, gentleness, tenderness. Do you see God this way? He is kind toward you in Christ. And you will experience this fullness for all of eternity. That's why He does it. That's why He does all this. He wants you to enjoy that and see it and experience it and rejoice in it. And it's all because of our union with Christ, not on our own merits, right? Could you earn any of this? I can't. And that's what will be ours forever. And it, it, you've got to understand this. Letter E, the gift of our being made alive. This is not your doing. He says at the end of verse 5, by grace you have been saved. And he says in verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved. What's grace? It's a gift. God giving you what you do not deserve. It is a gift of God. This, this, these words in verses 8 and 9 and 5 totally erase any possibility of our participation in our own salvation. It's not your doing. It's not your good works. That's what he says. You've been saved through grace. This is not your own doing. How, Paul cannot be any clearer here. It's not your doing. It's not a result of works. There are so many religious people in the world today that think all of the riches of God's kindness toward us in heaven are a result somehow, at least in part, of what they can do in some fashion. This is not the result of any works from us. It's not our doing. It's a gift. It's grace. And why? And this, this seals it even more fully. Why has God set up salvation that way? Because no one is going to be able to boast in any way about their coming into these riches of grace. There will not be one person who gets to heaven one day and says, I'm here mostly because of God, but also, I did this. And therefore, that was part of what got me here. Not one person will say that. No one may boast in themselves at all with receiving eternal life. It is all a work of God's grace. It is a gift. I don't know how to emphasize this anymore, but this has to come home to our hearts day after day. This is a gift from God. No one will boast. The only thing, like Paul says, God forbid that I should glory or boast except in what? The cross of Christ. That will be our only boast. When we get to heaven, it will be, Jesus did this! This is amazing! Look what the cross did for me! You remember who I was? Yeah, I remember you. Right? Look what God can do. And for all of eternity, to enjoy His kindness toward us in Christ. Finally this morning, you were dead. You were made alive. But that's not all. It's, it's not that He made you alive and then let you go on your own. No. You are now in this lifelong relationship. 
You are His work. Oh, what hope and joy this brings. You could label these three points like you have in your outline there. Your past, your present, and your future. You're His workmanship. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Again, this, this causes us to remember back to creation. God has made you His new creation in Christ. God took you from spiritual death and now He is completely changing you. Inside and out. Mind, heart, will, emotions, thoughts, everything gets, re- gets changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, what? He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 4.20-24 says, In Christ we are being recreated in the image of Him who created us. Glory to God for this. He has made us His new creation. His masterpiece. His workmanship. God is not going to leave us where we are. Yes, He saves you when you're dead. But then, He changes you to make you like Jesus. So, he, God has prepared good works for you. Yes, he has, he has made you His new creation in Christ. Letter A, but letter B, God has prepared good works for you. This creation, this new creation has a direction. You're going to produce good works. And this is the key that gets so many people confused. Please remember that this great salvation is not a result of works, but this great salvation will produce good works. And that's the key difference. The good works do not cause the salvation. The good works are caused by the salvation. And that's the difference between works righteousness and Christ's righteousness alone. That's the difference that Paul taught constantly between true salvation and not being saved at all. If you, be, if you depend on your own works, you're not saved. If by God's grace, He has saved you, then yet you will produce good works for His glory through His love. So God has prepared good works for you to come after your salvation. Of course, if He brought you from spiritual death to spiritual life, that's going to make a difference, right? God lives in you and you will be changed. Romans 8, 28-30 tells us that God's purposes that He prepared for us are the good works simply of being like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit. The attitudes of Christ. The words of, the words of Christ. He changes us to become like our older brother, Jesus. And certainly, you think of Romans 12, 1-21, where those good works will also include serving like Jesus. So Christ-like being, Christ-like serving, God has in store for us. And it's something that God has prepared in eternity for us, in His sovereign working beforehand. That's all God's doing. Where you are to be and work for Him. When? With whom? For whom? For how long? It's all been planned. It's all been prepared for you. And God will equip you and bring you into those good works sovereignly. Everyone whom God has made alive in Christ, God has prepared good works for you. Again, God has not allowed that those works are the cause of your salvation, but the result of your salvation. And then let us see, God has prepared a new walk for you. Notice that this text brings us full circle. Verse 2, 
You were dead in your sins in which you once walked. Now, you have a new walk in Christ. You are walking in them. What? In those good works that God has prepared beforehand. You are walking in Christ. You are walking by His Spirit within you. You are walking in the light of truth. You are walking in love as dear children of God. This is a theme in the letter of Ephesians. You can trace it. Look up the word walk or walking. God has a new, amazing walk for you to enjoy to bring Him glory. What an amazing gift of God's grace to us. And to God be the glory, right? When you, when you see all this, here's who you were. Here's, here's how you were brought to life. And here's now God's workmanship in your life. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. In closing this morning, we can see Paul's theme. And again, we could have gone so much deeper in all of these sections. You were dead in sin. And now you are alive in Christ. If you're here today and that is your experience, know it. Rejoice in this. Meditate on this. Recount it to yourself. Understand it. Like Lazarus, tell the story. Right? Do you remember what happened after Lazarus was raised from the dead? He was, he was an absolute terror to the religious leadership's plan to discredit Jesus. Because this guy was going around from person to person saying, I was dead. Now look at me. Right? That's what we're called to. You were dead. Now you're alive. Speak the Gospel. And you know, I, I have to underscore something that I heard this week from a, a well-known pastor teacher. There are so many people that like to say nowadays, I can just live the Gospel for people. I don't have to say a word. That's wrong. You know what? Yes, you are to live Christ-like before people. Those good works. But the Gospel is a message. It is words, right? From God that we speak. And God uses that message to call the hearts of dead people to life and give them salvation. Today, if you're an unbeliever here, you, say, you, you look at what I'm saying and you, you read this text from Paul and you think, I think, I think I'm dead still. Is that you? Think about that. I'm dead. But I would say this to you. If you are experiencing a stirring in your heart and you're beginning to realize that you indeed are spiritually dead, like this text describes, and you desire, you have a desire in your heart for spiritual life, that is a really good sign. Something's moving, right? If that's real in you, don't move away from that impulse. Don't ignore that impulse. Confess to God your true state. Open this text. Tell God, that's who I am. I hate this. I'm tired of being dead. And cry out to the God who in mercy raises the dead. Cry out to Him. Remember, He delights to take people who are dead and bring them up spiritual life. 
and cast yourself in absolute dependence upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is your righteousness. Your works did not get you there. Christ's works did. He is your righteousness. He is your atonement on the cross. He is your resurrection. Remember, your salvation is because of union with Christ. Cast yourself upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. His work saves you from your sin. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from self-help. Trust in Christ. And then take confidence in the promises of God that He speaks to those who trust in Christ. He says that those who trust in Christ, He will save forever. And if we can help you with this, if you're wrestling through this, please contact us. Come and talk with me. Even today, I'd love to to put you together with someone who can open the Word of God with you and answer your questions and pray with you and help you to know that you are alive in Christ as well. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we have received this text. We have delighted in it together. I pray that Your good work through this text would continue in the days ahead. That we as Your your risen children united to Christ would be so impacted by these truths that our lives would be different. That we would rejoice in these things. That we would have such an affection to fill our hearts and minds with these and that we would tell the story of Your grace over and over again. And Father, if there are those who are listening, even, even online, even here in, our, in this room, are not yet alive in Christ, that You would so move their heart that they would know Your grace at work in them. That You would grant them the faith. The faith to trust. By grace we are saved through faith. Trusting in Jesus Christ alone and His saving work. They would trust in Him alone and not their own works. That they would know that 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 grace and that faith, all of it together is a is a gift from You. From Your hand. Through Your Spirit. We pray, Father, that that You would do that great work in us. For Your glory we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.